This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. I'm uh, very excited about the uh, page two uh, experts that we have here for you today. We will be celebrating the uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. holiday and philanthropy and talking about the connection between those two and the charities that are involved. Uh, as always here on the Nonprofit Coach, this is a live call-in show, as the announcer just mentioned. You can also join us over in the chat room, and I do see some folks over in the chat room. And if you prefer, you can ask your questions by emailing me at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. Over here on page one news, you can always follow along by going to tedhart.com and click on radio links. Uh, first up in the radio links today is the ultimate guide to Instagram marketing. Uh, you'll find this as uh, Instagram leaders are using photo sharing social network sites for marketing. You can now learn in this uh, pretty short, about uh, 37 slides available over on uh, SlideShare, how you can use Instagram in your marketing. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach comes to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy uh, under the uh, uh, header of Tax Watch. 
experts are saying that the charitable deduction is probably safe uh, for 2014, uh, that uh, while Congress has been looking at a number of different ways uh, to uh, balance our budget and the charitable deduction has been put on the table several times, uh, it does look like uh, we're going to be able to uh, keep that deduction for 2014. Read all the details about why experts feel that this is the case for 2014 over in the radio links at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Uh, as always, once a month, uh, we welcome our good friends of GuideStar here to the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, this is time for the GuideStar Minute, and welcome back to the Nonprofit Coach, Lindsay Nichol. Hi, Chad. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, and uh, happy Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, day here on the Nonprofit Coach. Um, what's new over at GuideStar? Yeah, so it is an exciting time for GuideStar Exchange participants right now. We have a ton of new products and services and benefits to participants, so I wanted to just touch base on three of those very quickly um, because I know your listeners in particular understand the GuideStar Exchange, and we're so thrilled to have your support. Excuse me. The first one is grassroots.org. So we have uh, a partnership with them, and if you are a gold or silver level participant, you can get free web hosting, free SEO report and consultation, and free MBA social value project consulting. And they're actually having a webinar with us next Tuesday, January 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern to talk about those participants. So it's well, I'm a so free glad webinar. they scheduled that right after the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show so people yeah, can exactly. listen, listen here and then go right to the webinar. So smart planning. I mean, we always think of that, you know, and we really do hope your particip- your your listeners will will call in. Cause we well, make sure think- you send me the the link, and we'll uh, we'll pitch that on next week's show for you as well. Absolutely, oh, I'd love to. And uh, so the the website for that is just guidestar.org/webinars. Um, so you can find it there and um, register for free. And then, of course, we have uh, a partnership with Eventbrite, which is the premier kind of ticket and selling vendor and uh, gold, silver, and bronze level participants all have discounts. Gold have completely waived Eventbrite service fees. Silver level participants have 70% off, and bronze participants have 40% off. And that's well, just that's really exciting. Yeah. I, I have to, I have to say, I mean, there, there's a real reason to go for the gold. I mean, I, I think in in advance of the Olympics, now's the time to uh, go for the gold anyway. But Eventbrite is a terrific. Uh, service, and if any of my listeners have not um, started using that for their events and what nonprofit doesn't do some sort of event, um, to have those fees waived is an incredible benefit and another reason to partner with GuideStar. Well said. That's exactly what we're trying to do. As much as we know the GuideStar Exchange is important for nonprofits, we do know it takes time and energy to submit additional information. So we are trying to provide real discounts and real services that can help nonprofits be more effective and efficient. So this is just one of those, and we we really love um, our partners. Eventbrite is wonderful. We just started partnering with them. And you can find more at that um, at the website. It's npo.gs slash Eventbrite discount. So I encourage you to check that out. Terrific. I I also noticed that uh, if you you go just to guidestar.org or go to tedhart.com and the radio links today, you'll find a direct link uh, right on your homepage. Um, there's uh, the promotion of the, uh, the Eventbrite uh, detail. And I just, I just want to mention to my listeners that I've been using Eventbrite for years. It's very easy to use, extremely easy to 
um, to set up, but also more importantly, um, incredibly good and easy integration into social media. So the ability to use GuideStar and Eventbrite together um, starts meeting so many of the, uh, the six pillars of success for online uh, fundraising and nonprofit uh, organizations, of which uh, most of my listeners probably already know, we consider GuideStar to be number two uh, most important. But by using Eventbrite, that also now starts connecting you uh, to other social media. So you may, in, in fact, start uh, hitting three, four, and five by, uh, by using this, uh, this new partnership. I love that, and we absolutely love that the Guide Start strategy is number two because, I, and I do want to take a moment to remind people that that information the nonprofits give us, it doesn't just stay with us. We actually send that out and push it out, and we have you know 10 million visitors to Guide Start's website every year. We have a ton of partners that use our data. Facebook Causes is one. So having that extra exposure and then, uh, to your point, Ted, really linking it across all of your social channels, it's really important, and, and we do hope that that's you know, a strategy you consider. So we love that you, you include that in your six. Well, um, and, and what you just Ted. pointed out, which I really appreciate you reminding folks, is exactly the reason why um, here on the Nonprofit Coach we do uh, consider GuideStar to be the number two most important thing that nonprofits can be doing today online to succeed. Number one, of course, being a well-designed uh, website full of unique content, uh, mobile-ready, um, and uh, easy to search. So that being number one. Number two, and, and the reason is not just because GuideStar exists or just because of the data that's there. It's because of uh, how that data is used, how it's pushed out. Uh, you mentioned Facebook. I think even uh, more important than that in terms of leveraging real money, and we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, is uh, your connection with uh, Fidelity, Charitable Gift. Yes, absolutely, and Schwab Charitable Trust, absolutely. We, yeah, we can go we on really, and on at, yeah. at, at just how big your network is, but the, the simple yeah. fact that you have such an incredible network and how, who is actually utilizing the GuideStar database, uh, in my mind, um, and uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach, we certainly remind our readers that you know, if they are not reaching for the gold on GuideStar, if they are not making that a priority now for 2014, uh, they are leaving money on the table and they are being disadvantaged. That's completely true. That's completely true. And, you know, transparency really is the name of the game when it comes to GuideStar Exchange. That's what we're helping nonprofits achieve. It's total transparency. But, again, we understand that it takes time and energy. We understand that most nonprofits are under-resourced. So we are trying to benefit them however we can. And we spend a lot of time working with partners to make sure that it is helpful and that they really are adding value. So I did want to mention one last benefit, which is Volunteer Match, which you know, helps nonprofits recruit volunteers and build better relationships. So GuideStar Exchange Silver and Gold participants can get premium recruiting tools for free for a year. So that's another exciting benefit. And we are thrilled to come to your show, Ted, and talk about it. I really appreciate this platform, and we hope that people will talk about guys' directions and make that part of their strategy this year. Well, and, and we, we certainly agree. And, and I, again, bravo to, to GuideStar. We're always thrilled to have the GuideStar Minute because you bring up-to-date um, information like this. But I, I think you know, there, there, there certainly should, on the face of it, be enough reasons why nonprofits are finally starting to get the message that they should be reaching for the gold and they should. You know, I, I think a, a, good, a good goal for, for all of my listeners is to at least start filling out uh, the, uh, the online information, update your nonprofit report uh, before the uh, Olympic Games open. 
um, and then have it completed before the opening, the, the closing ceremony. So, you know, I, I think those couple of weeks of the Olympics is a perfect time to get your nonprofit report uh, set up on GuideStar. And uh, we look forward to having you back here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, next month. Thank you so much, Doug. You just gave me my next marketing strategy. I love it. Thank you there so you much. Go. <laughs> now, now's, now's the time. You can remind yep. them uh, to hear all about it here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, anyway, thanks uh, so much for your partnership here, and uh, we certainly hope that uh, uh, together we do have more nonprofits utilizing GuideStar. Thank you, Ted, and I, I look forward to next month. <laughs> Thank you. That's uh, Lindsay Nichols from uh, uh, GuideStar here providing us with the GuideStar Minute. Back here on page one news, you can follow along at tedhart.com. comes to us from social media today. Over on social media today, you can download, and this is really terrific, the social media textbook. Uh, is now available uh, to you. It's uh, sponsored by SpreadFast. Um, and the subject of social media marketing is, of course, one that we talk about here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, quite a bit. A standard curriculum has yet to be published uh, to teach best practices in universally accepted conventions uh, until now. So the SpreadFast Social Business uh, textbook is now available, and it's available for you to download uh, over in the radio links today here on the Nonprofit Coach. Just click on tedhart.com and you'll find it under the radio links. Also, um, you'll find today eight ways to keep your social media updates fresh. Uh, these are uh, really terrific, easy to use. Um, you know, don't always just talk about yourself. Um, add quotations and questions. Um, add visuals. You know, that's one of the things that I think is often uh, missing is you know, those the links over. You're used to seeing links over to web pages, but uh, photos and graphics and videos that can be added uh, to your updates on social media. So uh, you can read all about it. Very good um, suggestions. And uh, what I really like about this article uh, is it gives you some very specific opportunities on Flickr and Pinterest, uh, SlideShare.net, um, and uh, other uh, maybe less um, popular or um, less used uh, sites that may be part of your overall marketing plan. Uh, now it's uh, time for us to uh, head on over uh, to page two. Uh, today here on The Nonprofit Coach, we are celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Here on The Nonprofit Coach today, as I mentioned, we are celebrating uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Uh, we've got some experts with us here on the show. Uh, first joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach uh, today is David Banks, President and CEO of Eagle Academy Foundation. As President and CEO, David is responsible for the successful management and leadership of the Eagle Academy Foundation, which is charged with providing financial support for the Academy Enrichment Programs at Eagle Academy Schools, offering professional development services to educators and administrators that want to effectively engage and teach inner-city young men and the expansion and replication of the Eagle model. I'm also uh, pleased at this uh, juncture to also uh, welcome here uh, Andrew Walk, uh, who is founder and CEO of Root Cause, um, he's a founder and CEO of this organization and has consulted with dozens of organizations in all sectors, including 
Open Society Foundations, uh, and many other organizations, including State Street Foundation. Uh, and I know later in the show today, gentlemen, Sean Dove uh, will be joining us. He is the, cam- he is, uh, the head of the Campaign for Black Male Achievement of the Open Society Foundations, and Sean is the campaign manager of the Open Society Foundation. So welcome now here to the nonprofit coach, uh, David Banks and Andrew Walk. Thank you, Ted. Gentlemen, thank, thank you, for, you for, for joining us um, today. Um, if, if you don't mind, over in the radio links, I'm just going to share a few just again because we're celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Day. I'm, I'm a big history buff, so uh, I always like finding sort of those uh, uh, un, unknown um, uh, or little-known facts um, in history, and certainly there are some um, interesting and little-known facts about Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, one that I found particularly interesting is that um, his original name was Michael King Jr., in 1931, his father became pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta and adopted the name Martin Luther King Sr. When uh, Dr. King was six years old, his father officially changed his name on his birth certificate to Martin Luther King Jr. So I, thought, I found that kind of a, uh, an interesting family uh, note. Um, I also found it very interesting, which I, I don't think, given the brilliance of Dr. King, that any of us would be particularly surprised that he skipped the ninth and 12th grades in high school and entered Morehouse College in Atlanta at the age of 15. Uh, so uh, a very promising young man from uh, from the very beginning. Uh, I may share a few more of these during the show, but one more that I thought was particularly interesting is that uh, when Dr. King married his wife, Coretta, the newlyweds were rejected by a white-only hotel where they were hoping to spend their honeymoon. Uh, and so they were um, forced or opted to spend the wedding night at a black-owned funeral home. Uh, so I guess probably best at least they were together, but maybe not quite <laughs> what they had in mind. Right. So a few few historical uh, facts of uh, of Dr. King. But um, let let's let's take this um, this direction. Um, first of all, I'm going to ask you folks. I, I gave a little bit of introduction, but I'm sure there's more that I've missed. Why don't we start off with uh, David? What did I miss in terms of what my audience should know about your background? Well, in terms of my background, um, I, I think you pretty much, you know, captured it. I'm, I'm, in, I'm an educator. I've been in this for um, for close to 30 years now. Uh, dedicated service to young young people in general, and for the last uh, 10 years, very focused on the plight of what's been happening with young men of of color. Um, I'm almost I'm an I'm an attorney um, by background as well, um, and uh, and I'm also a father of four children, including three sons. And so this this work around what's happening with young men and young men of color in particular is something that's uh, uh, has very, has very real significance for me. Not not only a vocation but an avocation as well. Yeah. Um, and, and Andrew Walk, um, the incredible work that you're doing over at Root Cause. Uh, give us a little bit more about you. Well, Ted, thanks so much. Um, I, I, I think the, um, what I'm going to share for the reason I think you asked me and David to be on the show is more um, the, the co-leading that uh, my organization, Root Cause, along with PolicyLink, are doing um, with support from Sean Dove and Open Society of something called the Institute for Black Male Achievement, which I'm sure we can tell you a little bit more after the show. Um, as the show goes on here, but is really focused on supporting individuals, organizations, and networks that want to sustain and grow their work towards improving the life outcomes for black men and boys. And, and I think it's quite um, quite timely, um, as you were bringing up a few anecdotes about Dr. King, 
Um, but his last book, which was uh, called Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community, which, which actually came out just a few months um, before his assassination, was, was a pretty strong um, sort of analysis and critique of the civil rights movement and, and what it had succeeded in doing and what the many challenges might be. And I think that the Institute for Black Male Achievement is trying to pick up many, many years later to try to get the next wave of, um, of positive outcomes um, for civil rights and particularly for black men and boys in this country. And really great to hear, be here to talk about that. Well, we really appreciate that, and thank you for, uh, for bringing up the important program. That is why we wanted to ask you to be here on the, the show today, because um, this show is dedicated to nonprofit management, social media, uh, and philanthropy, and in particular, the role of philanthropy um, and how philanthropy can help lead the way, uh, but also to support and light the way. Um, what is the role here, and, and I'm going to let you gentlemen uh, sort of take this where you would like to go. What is the role of, of philanthropy in your movement, and why is that necessary to have the outcomes that you desire? Well, Ted, I, I think that, um, you know, whether it be this issue or any other, philanthropy just plays such an incredible role in its ability to be innovative in the way it can actually see things that may be happening where gaps exist that government for a variety of reasons can't actually um, intercede whether the challenges around passing a policy or releasing certain funding. So in this particular case, and Sean, when he joined us, might want to build on this, um, it happened to be that um, quite a many years ago, right after the Million Man March, um, there was actually quite a bit of philanthropy focused on the, the challenges black men and boys were facing in the country. And unfortunately, about um, 10 years after a fair amount of investment going in, um, a report came out that showed that looking at 41 promising nonprofit programs, that 25% were gone. They didn't exist anymore. And another 50% were in larger institutions that were also gone. And the, uh, the question was why and, and how can work like this is so important, be sustained over time. Um, and that's when philanthropy really stepped in, led by Sean Dove and the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, really asked that question, why, um, and invested in the Institute for Black Male Achievement to begin to try to uncover what the answers might be. And that, I think, is just the ideal example of questions like that that philanthropy can help to answer by the flexible and innovative dollars that they can use. Yeah, and, How, and, I, and I think also, too, Ted, just the, the notion that philanthropy really sounds the alarm in many ways, right? So uh, the, the issues that are being tackled are, are issues that very often the government may be aware of, um, but, uh, but I think the, the, the philanthropic community really is in a position to help to try to, uh, to be a great advocate for particular issues and causes, and, uh, and in doing so, just kind of lift these, lift these issues up and get the attention of uh, the policymakers and government in general um, to really be able to move on specific, specific initiatives. And, and what kind of reception are you getting? It seems to me, and, and certainly you know, reflect on this and, and tell me if you think I'm, I'm wrong, but you know, when I look at, look at the landscape, you know, we have as a country so much to be proud of in the election and then re-election of uh, President Barack Obama as you know, the, the first African-American uh, president and what he brings and his uh, viewpoint of, uh, of society and what he brings. But, but at the same time that, that we can celebrate 
that major accomplishment for our collective community, it also seems to have triggered and, and sort of released um, you know, some, some, some truly um, awful examples of racism that, that seem to have drifted away or had not been quite as blatant. And maybe I'm, I'm fuzzy in, in what life was like before Barack Obama, but it, but it, but it seems that we have this celebration at the same time uh, that um, you know, the, the level of, of racism um, uh, and, and public discord um, using racism seems to be worse today than, than maybe it was a decade ago. I think in many ways, uh, Ted, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, as we reflect on the life of Dr. Martin Luther King and and the struggle, uh, the civil rights movement, and in so many ways the role that he played in leading us um, to what you know we wanted to ultimately be a much greater day for 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 all people in this country. Um, and 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 to be sure, there have been lots of things which have improved um, in our daily lives uh, and opportunities, but. Um, but there certainly seems to be something about the mere presence of a Barack Obama in the White House, which seems to have uh, caused a certain level of, of, of tension, uh, you know, in this country. But, but, but and how that, has that reflected in the philanthropy that that is available to you and others in the work that you're doing? You know, uh, it's 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 still. It's it's still a challenge. I mean, um, you know, you've had uh, billionaire philanthropists like George Soros and 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 uh, you know Mayor Mike Bloomberg right here in New York City who who came together and created an initiative, the Young Men's Initiative, and each one of them put up you know almost thirty million dollars a piece of their own money um, to help to support uh, the efforts that would, would would go a long way toward making things better for for black and brown boys um, in New York. But I think um, when you look at the larger landscape, um, we still have a long way to go in terms of how ph- philanthropy is really ultimately uh, leveraging, um, you know, the, the larger community to get more involved. The, the, the conditions that black and brown boys find themselves in and young men uh, and men, in fact, across this country are, are, are still dire. And so there's, there's, uh, there's still a, a long way to go in, in spite of the fact that uh, we've got a first black president. All right. Well, help us understand. You know, you, you, when you say dire, can, can you put some numbers? Can you give us, um, you know, so, some way to, to put our arms around what that looks like? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if Andrew wants to jump in, but certainly, you know, when we created the Eagle Academy, um, the graduation rate. And this has been ten years ago, but when we created, created the first academy, Eagle Academy was the first all boys public high school in New York City in more than thirty years. Um, graduation rate was only about 32% for African-American boys in New York. Across the country, the numbers still hover around 50%. So that means, I mean, one out of every two young men of color uh, essentially are, are not going to make it to the finish line and are not making it to the finish line. Um, and, again, that's attendant with issues of poverty and fatherlessness. I mean, 68% of uh, African-American children today do not live with their biological father. I mean, th- th- those numbers are staggering, staggering. In, in New York now, how State, does that compare to, uh, to maybe um, white uh, families? What, what, when you say you know, less than half? 
Yeah, I th- yeah. I think the percentage for for whites is certainly less certainly less than half. But I think they're, they're in a, I believe, and I don't want to be misquoted on this, but I believe they're in the in the uh, low forties uh, percentage. And, and even the Hispanic community, um, the numbers are not as high uh, as it is for the African American community. You know, Ted, I, I um, have a couple of additional stats here that also want to share my sort of reflections in doing both nonprofit work for 10 years, but then this work for three plus. Um, so, so there's a fair amount of evidence that proficiency in math and reading by fourth grade is a good predictor for your opportunities throughout your lifetime. Um, so these are national statistics that we just pulled recently as part of our work at the Institute for Black Male Achievement, where um, currently the proficiency levels for for grade four math and reading are hovering around 18% for African-American males, while um, they are at 53% um, approximately for for uh, white Caucasian males. That That is just a drastically stark difference. Um, but, w- but why is that important? And I think your question around race and, and the challenge around the discussions is that, you know, for the longest time, the biggest learning I've had around this work is that I think there is a challenge for us on how we think about the work we do with a race-gender lens. And we often look at our work as we're trying to deal with an educational issue or a poverty issue um, or an economic issue, but we're never disaggregating data. And and, and now that um, I've been doing this work where we disaggregate the data, so we're really looking at male, female, white, black, Hispanic, American Indian doesn't, I mean, we should disaggregate it at all levels so we can better get an understanding of who it is that's uh, truly in need and who it is we might be really trying to improve the life outcomes of and what they may in particular need and not um, couch this in these big categories but much, be much more clear about how we disaggregate and use this data. Um, and that's what makes Eagle Academy's model so great, this all-boys um, school model, you know, has really taken that race-gender lens and made it um, really profound with real outcomes. And so, so I, I think you were saying 18 um, percent were were reaching that that proficiency, um, and certainly being much higher for whites. But the white number would be disturbing by itself if you didn't put it in next to the the African American number. I mean, the, the, I mean, the white number that you just shared is shockingly low. Um, and then, and, and am I correct in, in, in that analysis? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but yeah. then you see the then you see the African American number, and, and, and you're about ready to fall off your chair. So, what's what's happening now with the the philanthropic support that you receive and the support of the Eagle Academies? Um, are those numbers moving for the boys that that, that are that are learning with you? Well, the boys that are learning with with us, oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, um, you know, we've got graduation rates that are that are eighty five percent, and uh, you know, and, and while it's still in New York City, it's, the numbers are about fifty percent for the uh, for the same population. And what about so, this proficiency number that Andrew was just mentioning to us? So, so they get to graduation, but do they have this math and science proficiency? Yeah, and so our numbers, our numbers are uh, are are certainly above uh, what's happening with the rest of the population, um, but uh, it, it's still a struggle. I mean, it's, it's part of the reason why you know we get the boys. Uh, we started originally with our school at the ninth grade, and we don't we don't uh, test the students to get in. We take in you know, pretty much all comers on a lottery basis, 
And so one of the things we realized right away, Ted, was just how challenging this work really is. And so uh, we, 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 we kind of redeveloped our model, and our model now starts at the sixth grade uh, instead of starting at the ninth grade because we needed a, just a little bit more runway to, um, to kind of uh, onboard these guys and get them ready. Uh, but the challenges are very significant. Um, our, our numbers are certainly higher uh, uh, across the city uh, uh, than, than it is for boys um, who are similarly situated who don't go to the Eagle Academy. Uh, but we still very much have our work uh, cut out for us as well. Well, and, and, and let me just give you something else to, to sort of chew on here in, in, in terms of, of this perspective of, of white people looking at minority groups, looking at uh, African Americans. Um, you know, as, as a white guy, I thought the discussion over the weekend that President Obama sort of put out there related to marijuana brings out the importance of having someone like him in an authority uh, position to help us see these, these topics from different perspectives. Because most people, if they look at um, the issue of marijuana uh, legalization or not, you come down on one side or the other you know, based on whether or not you think it's a good idea and there's, there's health issues and, and things of that sort. But we, and, and, of course, President Obama you know, saying you know, in, in his mind he, he views alcohol as being very dangerous and he views marijuana as equally dangerous. You know, that story got told in so many different ways, um, twisting his words in some way, saying, you know, I, I actually saw online that some, you know, right-wing group was, was saying that President Obama was urging people to use marijuana, that somehow they took that message um, and twisted it around. But what I thought was interesting about his discussion on that topic is that he didn't view it, and he could have, viewed it as a, as a health issue. He could have viewed it as, as a legal issue. Um, he viewed it as a fairness issue because what he brought out, which you know, as, as a white guy I had never thought of before, is he said, listen, if you're white and you use marijuana, okay, that, that's an issue and you make a decision and you should or you shouldn't, it's legal or it's not. But if you're black and you use marijuana, you're probably going to have legal problems and you're going to be more likely to be held accountable for breaking the law than if you were white, the exact same offense. And I think that's sort of an interesting way to see the same issue that everyone is discussing today um, from the same perspective of this education issue that you're bringing up to say, why should it be different if you're educating a child to say that if you're black, you're not going to get to graduation, you're not going to have that math and science by the fourth grade that you're saying we, we can identify right now as a measure, it shouldn't matter, should it? No, I mean, and, and it shouldn't, but in, interesting in terms of uh, the example that you gave, you know, the notion of uh, having a president with uh, uh, this kind of background that he has and being an African-American and being able to offer up this kind of a different perspective on that issue um, speaks to the fact that uh, to the degree that we're able to support young people of color, um, the more young people of color that we're able to kind of get into the pool in various careers and industry, they bring a different perspective. Bringing, having more uh, young men of color who are on these college campuses, they bring a different perspective. And so issues of diversity and, uh, and being able to increase and enhance uh, varying perspectives is one that I think is, is very, very important. Beyond the fact that I'm sure Andrew would, would speak to as well, is just the notion of 
just the economic implications for this country that when you have so many uh, young people who find themselves, uh, young men in particular, filling our prison system and the amount of money that we have to spend and incarcerate them, um, what it would actually do for our economy to invest in these young people to make sure that we help to get them to the finish line. David? Or Andrew, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I, mean I think you're, you're talking, if, if I understand your sort of analogy, at the fundamental premise of equity and opportunity in the country. Right. And exactly. By, by disaggregating um, the data, um, I think you, you, you get a much clearer picture of actually um, who is having access to that opportunity and who is not. And then more importantly, then we can start to turn to what may be possible things that are working that can help to move the dial um, on those variety of different data that, that, that we might see. I think that... Um, I think that the reason why we started the Institute for Black Male Achievement and, and where David is part of this, what we call Social Innovation Accelerator Program is so profound is that, um, is that there are, as you know from your show, Ted, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of nonprofits that are leading programs either for advocacy or for direct service um, who are all working on this issue on a daily basis. And, and we sought to try to unify them about a single purpose, and that was improving the life outcomes of black men and boys and provide them with the tools and resources to do that. Um, and in David's case, to be able to highlight um, a uh, school that can serve um, black and brown boys and show the kind of results it is, it is and figure out how others can learn from that and spread that is the kind of work we need to be doing. Um, we know a lot about what's working out there, but now we need the will and discipline to try to make sure that more are doing it um, to try to make the, some of these statistics move in the right direction more, more aggressively. And, and Andrew, who is, who's listening? Um, is, is, this, is this support, is this um, attempt to move the dial to support these uh, young men um, and boys? Um, is it coming from philanthropy? Is, is government listening? Uh, is corporate America listening? Where, where are yep. you finding your message resonating? So, so I would say, you know, D David had a point that there's, there's a lot more that could be listening, but I, I think we are at a moment right now that is a tipping point for a next level of movement around this particular issue, and I'll just share a couple of different examples of that, of different pockets of society. So probably the first and foremost most important one is that the Institute for Black Male Achievement is a membership organization. It's free membership for any individual organization or network in any of the sectors who is working on improving life outcomes of black men and boys to join. Um, in a little bit over a year now, we now have over 2,000 individual members representing close to 1,300 different organizations across this country, um, and they're reaching millions and millions of people through the direct work, either directly or advocacy. Um, in addition to that, uh, the Institute has attracted nine different philanthropic partners both locally and nationally, um, not only the Open Society Foundations, but Robert Wood Johnson, Skillman, the California Endowment, and others. Um, and then you have efforts that are going on that are beginning to attract really significant attention um, in government as well, which I think is really critical. I think one of the most profound ones um, is Cities United. Um, Cities United, um, organized by the, na um, the National League of Cities, um, has been <clears throat> recruiting mayors 
who are committed to reducing the murder rates across cities across this country, and they have over 50 mayors already signed up. That effort's led by uh, Mayor Landrew of New Orleans and Mayor Nutter of Philadelphia. So I think that in different pockets you're seeing you know, significant um, reach and interest, um, and I think you know, this work is only emerged as they focused just in the last five years on the Campaign for Black Male Achievement and Others efforts start and has made quite a lot of headway in a short period of time in terms of attention grabbing. So you are starting to see some diversifying of support. Uh, gentlemen, I'm going to share a, a couple of facts about Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We're going to take a break and then come back. I want to ask you to, to reflect on this because around, not just here in the United States do we rightfully honor the incredible intellect and, and foresight that uh, Dr. King had in helping us see a, a better day for our community, uh, a community where we are all Americans, that there aren't different types of Americans or those that are less worthy. Um, if you go to Westminster Abbey in London, Dr. King is one of 10 world martyrs of the 20th century who are depicted in life-size statues in the entrance of Westminster Abbey. So, so outside of the United States, he, he is recognized as, as a, a truly great human being. But here's what I'd like you to reflect on coming back here to the United States. There are over 900 streets worldwide named after Dr. King, but only 40 U.S. states have at least one Martin Luther King Jr. named street of their own, and I'd like you to reflect on that when we come back. We'll be right back after the break. First up here on uh, the, the uh, nonprofit coach here on the break is I just want to draw your attention to um, our show next week. We will be back here live on uh, Tuesday um, at uh, 12 noon Eastern. I'm really quite uh, excited about uh, next week's uh, show. We will um, have on the show um, next week uh, Kirsten Bullock will be with us with her uh, terrific new book, The Essential Fundraising Handbook for Small Nonprofits. So again, that's January 28th at 12 noon Eastern. We're then going to have a short two-week hiatus, which is a really terrific time to catch up on hundreds of free podcasts of the Nonprofit Coach that are available to you and your constituency at tedhartradio.com. We'll be coming back live here on the Nonprofit Coach on February 18th. Uh, with Craig Bita, um, who is coming to us from Cone Communications, and always uh, a crowd pleaser with uh, the marketing and strategic advice uh, coming to us from that group. We're going to have uh, a really quick announcement here from Google, and then we'll be heading back over to the show. Life gets busy. Wouldn't it be nice to have a central place where you could save what's on your mind? With Google Keep, you can stay on top of your world by quickly and easily organizing everything you want to remember. No matter where you are, finalize door list for Thursday's gig. So when you find inspiration, you can file away your ideas. And Google Keep stores them safely across all your devices. And when the time comes, You'll have everything covered. Save what's on your mind. Google Keep. 
Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're live uh, back here on The Nonprofit Coach. I have with me uh, Andrew Walk and David Banks. Uh, And, gentlemen, I I shared a little bit of uh, um, a piece of uh, interesting fact about uh, Dr. King uh, before the break, and I'm wondering if you might reflect on the fact that uh, here in the United States, while there are 900 streets worldwide named for Dr. King, there are 40 states here in the United States that have at least one Martin Luther King Jr. named street of their own. Why is it not 50? Gentlemen. Well, um, I, I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure how to answer the question um, without knowing which states they are and, and being a little bit more clear on the, the data. I, I will say, going to your earlier points, um, I, I think that the, the country does have a very big challenge around talking about race itself, and I think more importantly, its history with um, with the African-American people in this country um, specifically, um, but without really knowing the states, I don't know, and David may have a, a better context, particularly because of the work that he's doing um, in New York. Yeah, I mean, not really. I mean, I, I think the fact that uh, that you talked about the, in Westminster Abbey, you know, and all across the world, uh, how Dr. King is, is perceived as, as a real national, uh, as an international, uh, an international acclaim, I think um, issues of race are still um, very significant in this country, and um, it, it was a serious struggle to, to get a holiday named uh, after him. Um, and it's one in which, as you as you even watch, I think some of the uh, some of the issues that uh, that Barack Obama has to deal with, um, um, I think, uh, probably play into the fact that uh, they're not even more. Every state should have a, a, at least one street named after Dr. After Dr. King. So it just says to me that there's still so much work for us to have to do to, to become the, that ultimate uh, nation with a true spirit of brotherhood. I, I and would, Ted, just I would so you agree. know, I believe that um, that uh, Sean Dove uh, finally was able to join the line. Um, if okay, I'm not let mistaken. me see. Is, uh, Sean, is uh, is that you? Are you uh, live with us here on the Nonprofit Coach? Well, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Uh, we can hear you now. Sean, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Uh, this is Ted Hart. Uh, wh- I did a short introduction of you at the top of the show, but why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself? Sure, and uh, thanks, Ted, uh, for having us on the show. My name is Sean Dove. Uh, I manage the Open Society Foundation's campaign for uh, black male achievement. Um, one of the largest uh, philanthropic strategies uh, in America, um, supporting uh, black men and boys and advancing positive outcomes. And uh, happy to be on with uh, two of our key partners, uh, David Banks and Andrew Wolk uh, from Eagle Academy and, and, and Root Cause. And we, we've been um, reflecting um, here on the role of philanthropy, and, and we were just uh, touching on uh, before we, we went on break that that seem, the support uh, for education like the Eagle Academy does appear to be um, now expanding beyond the philanthropic notion of supporting 
um, young men and boys, uh, but now to, to government and, and corporate support. Um, do you see that trend? Yes, I uh, certainly see that ten, uh, trend, uh, Ted. I think uh, today as we're having this conversation, um, I just think in my career we're probably seeing uh, – the uh, largest uh, convergence of cross-sector uh, interest and activity uh, on this issue of uh, black male achievement and boys and men of color. Uh, I think we're at the point of how do we translate the attention, the activity, and some of these early initial investments uh, into uh, broader, deeper investments, so sustained investments, so that we can see change. Uh, I would venture to say that we're at a point Point where we've never been in the field of philanthropy on this issue. Tell us, tell us how that is. Well, I think it's a matter of momentum, right? And it's a matter of timing. Um, the Campaign for Black Male Achievement was launched uh, five years ago and was, at the time, the only national uh, foundation that uh, was making explicit investments for uh, black men and boys. And, you know, sometimes there needs to be uh, a pioneer, a philanthropic pioneer, someone that is uh, a foundation that's going to step out uh, on the issue of race and gender to provide uh, other foundations uh, with that cover. And so over the last five years, um, with a number of uh, philanthropic partners, uh, many of whom um, are investing in the Institute for Black Male Achievement, uh, we've, uh, I, I would say, have raised the flag around this issue. We've called for more investments, and we've uh, managed to get a number of our uh, uh, philanthropic uh, institutions uh, in the game, so to speak, uh, at the April teen uh, Council of Foundation meetings. Uh, there was an unprecedented meeting of uh, 26 uh, foundation presidents, and during that meeting there was a pledge uh, to uh, increase investment. And since then, uh, this body formed what uh, is called the uh, Philanthropic Alliance to Expand Opportunities for Boys and Men of Color. So. Uh, there are a number of foundations that are ready and have uh, uh, begun investments in this uh, issue. And so there's a lot of momentum right now, and it's uh, our job uh, to maximize that uh, momentum. And what needs to happen next now that we're seeing this expansion? We have uh, about 10 minutes left here on the show. So how do we honor Dr. King and the work that you're doing, and how do we build a bridge between those? Well, I think number one is that um, we, we, we need voices uh, like David Miller, like Andrew Wolk, and uh, uh, David Banks. Uh, David Miller is another uh, leader, David Banks. And we need to raise a platform on the great work that uh, these leaders and organizations are doing. That's, that's number one. Uh, number two, we also need to demonstrate and show what's working and what are the proven models for uh, individuals and investors that are on the fence and looking for ways to uh, in, in, in invest in this uh, this field. Uh, uh, number three, we can't be shy about lifting up the, uh, the disparities and the issues of uh, race in this country. Uh, there is uh, and will continue to be pushback. Why invest in uh, black men and boys? Why a targeted focus on males of color and the disparities 
and history show that uh, a universal approach must be coupled with a targeted uh, uh, approach. Uh, and the last thing I will say is that, you know, we have to continue the uh, cross-sector collaboration. Philanthropy can only be a catalyst. Uh, on, in, in this work, without government, without the uh, private sector, without business uh, and social sector uh, partners, um, we're not going to move the needle the way it needs to be uh, moved. And the fifth thing I will add is that we cannot ignore the fact that the answers and the solutions uh, to the problems and challenges and opportunities that we're dealing with uh, really lies and rests in the hands and the hearts of uh, the young men, uh, the young African-American Latino men in our communities, in our schools, in our community centers, that philanthropy often uh, paratroops in to save the day. Uh, this whole notion of the power of positive deviance, our young men have the answers and can be the actors uh, uh, to the solutions uh, uh, to the challenges we're facing in this country, Ted. To uh, go back to the earlier question, I, I just because I'm, I'm so curious about what this says about our community. Because when I ask the question of which states have not yet honored Dr. King with uh, a street name, we might immediately, or some of us might think, well, that's across the South, and that actually across the South there are more streets named for for Dr. King uh, than anywhere else in the country. And, and where you will not find one is in Montana. Idaho, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Nebraska, those may not entirely surprise you, but would it surprise you to find out that there is no uh, street name for Dr. King in Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont? Um, well, I, you know, as David said um, earlier, David Banks said, uh, I, every state should uh, uh, have a state, I mean, have a, a street named after uh, uh, Dr. King. Um, but listen, our work is yet to uh, to be done. And I am more concerned about, you know, the policies and the practices that are happening in these uh, states and in, in, in these cities um, than a street being named. While that's great, sure. you know, let's look at the policies and practices. Right. Sure. And the only reason I brought that up is because I'm just wondering, does your work get easier when, when something like that doesn't seem as big of a deal? Uh, in, in other words, do we, is there a change in the attitude towards um, the, the plight or the, 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 the desire of our community to see uh, uh, African-American boys and young men succeed, um, that, they, that they are equally valuable um, to all other Americans, and and until we view that as being the statement, doesn't your job continue to be a difficult one? Um, yes, it's difficult. No one, <laughs> uh, you know, both Andrew and David will uh, agree that this is hard work. And I think of a story that David Banks talks about when he launched Eagle Academy uh, seven eight years ago uh, in New York City first all-boys school uh, in New York City um, in 40 years, and very shortly after doing that, he came home and he said to his wife, uh, exhausted, challenged, and said, I see why a lot of folks are not running through the doors to do this work. 
yes, it's hard work, but in the spirit of uh, uh, Dr. King, in his last book, Where Do We uh, uh, Go From Here, uh, Community or Chaos, he talks about it will take the uh, committed minority of believers to uh, convince the majority of non-believers. And just by your statement and what you're sharing uh, about these states, Ted, uh, shows us that uh, this committed minority of believers, we still have a lot of work uh, to do. Uh, but I am, and I will tell you, um, I'm blessed to be able to work with scores of leaders across the country that have committed their career to this work. They believe that we can win. They believe that we can make change. And uh, that's where the focus is. And we got to accentuate that. we got to build that. That's what the BMA uh, uh, um, uh, social innovators are all about, identifying uh, those leaders in the field and accelerating their work. And so, yes, it's hard work, um, but, you know, we all believe we can win. You brought up an interesting concept here in terms of the minority of believers, and I'm just wondering, and I'm just going to ask very quickly, again, watching the, the time here, um, if perhaps the, the success that we've had so far in building on Dr. King's uh, legacy, if in fact we, we have, which I think we all would believe that, uh, or, or agree that it is at least moved in the right direction, it's better today than it, than it was in the 1960s uh, for minorities in this country, but, but certainly we have, we have not crossed the finish line. Um, and I, I, I put out there early on how you know, we all should celebrate the fact that we have an African-American president, that that was possible not just once, but he got reelected, but that it seemed to then trigger um, this, this reaction from racists that, that seemed to have brought them you know, sort of back out in, 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 in the, the daylight as opposed to, you know, where they belong, is perhaps um, the benefit that, that we see today, is it possible that you enjoy majority support um, and, it, it, and those races represent uh, a minority um, now, whereas perhaps back when Dr. King was here, um, he lived in a culture where there was a majority that supported that viewpoint and a minority that were supporting his. Have, have we met, while we're not at 100%, are there more supporters uh, for equality today than a minority? I, I would venture to say yes. Um, there are more supporters uh, for equality and equity uh, than um, in 1968 at the time of his assassination. But I would also venture to say that um, across the board, everyone would not agree that uh, we are doing better on the equity front than we were 50 years ago. Uh, a, a classic case in point, uh, the, um, the wealth gap. Uh, yeah. Between uh, people of color and, uh, uh, and 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 white folks are is larger now than it was then. So I think it depends on the data points that you look at. Right. Uh, yes, it's never just a straight line. I, I don't want to yes. cut you off, but I do want to make sure that I go right down the line here. We just got a couple minutes. Very quickly, I want to yes. make sure that everybody knows how to reach you, David Banks. How can my listeners reach you? Uh, they can reach us at eagleacademyfoundation.org. Uh, That's our website. They can certainly reach me personally uh, with my email. It says uh, dbanks 
at EAF, E like Eagle, A like Academy, F like Foundation, EAFNY, like New York, dot, dot org. Terrific, and we have provided a link um, to your group in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Andrew Walk, how can my listeners reach you? <clears throat> I'm going to briefly, to do that, say that um, you know our country is quickly, particularly in the main cities around the country, becoming a minority-majority country. And within that minority-majority, the issues that boys and men of color and, and black males in particular face is just the stark example of the income inequality and other access to opportunity. So I'd like to say to your listeners, in terms of how to reach us, to go to www.blackmaleachievement.org. Um, and if you care about this issue, sign up as a member to join the Institute for Black Male Achievement, um, where we're there to help support and, and galvanize um, along with already 2,000 individuals and 1,300 organizations. That's so terrific. And, and we did provide a link website. there today uh, in the radio links as well. Not, not to rush you guys on, but I've only got a few seconds left. Sean Dove, how can my listeners reach you? Uh, Sean, S-H-A-W-N dot Dove, like the bird, at Open Society Foundations with an S dot org. Terrific. Gentlemen, thank you for being my guest. This was a terrific show. You enlightened us so much, and I want to thank everyone for helping us uh, celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.